You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1234 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday in early May. And thank you for joining us on the podcast, as always, and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, among other platforms where you find podcasts. And today's show will be myself and Mark Schindler of Basketball News and other places. Mark is very smart on the NBA and also the NBA draft, which we'll touch on later on. But first, some comments from Tony Ressler. Uh, Ressler is, of course, the man in charge, the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, which is the largest part of the ownership group for the Atlanta Hawks. And he spoke to the media on Thursday afternoon. Uh, just as a note at the top of this podcast, Ressler does not have to talk to the media. In fact, he doesn't usually do kind of uh, full media or at least large media addresses at this time of year. Uh, he usually will talk to a select small group of media sometimes, whether it be AJC, The Athletic, etc., this time around, though, he spoke um, pretty much for like a half hour on Thursday in a fairly public forum and uh, interesting comments as a result of that. We'll touch on all of what transpired. We'll have one clip that I'll share uh, in video form and also in audio form later on in the podcast. But first, I'm going to start with uh, the luxury tax, as I've been talking about for quite some time on this show and on Twitter and other places. Wrestler and the willingness to pay the tax is going to be a huge factor in the team building process of the Hawks moving forward. Um, and I think that it's really, really important to kind of keep consider that because of how close they are to the, ca- to the tax right now. As a reminder, if Trey Young makes all NBA, they'll be up against the tax even further. And while they certainly can stay under and be competitive, um, they don't have to go over necessarily. But it's certainly a factor, if nothing else, in how they'll be building their team. And as one more reminder here, just because a team does not pay the tax does not mean they have to. Uh, it's, it's not even like, like a one sided thing. Just as a reminder here, that you, basically, if you're not in the tax, you get money from the league and revenue sharing. If you're in the tax, you're paying money. So it's not even just like a don't have anything happen or pay. It's actually pay or receive as the choice, which means a lot of owners don't like to go into the tax if they don't have to. And basically, I'll set it up this way. Tony Ressler, for a few different times in his tenure, has kind of said that they'll pay the luxury tax if they have to to be a contender. And he kind of walked that back at times in this availability. Basically, what I would say is he said all the right things that you want to hear as a fan. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be necessarily going to be happening. Um, I will always stress that, like, until a guy does it, you don't necessarily believe he's going to do it. But Russell did have the comments that a fan would want to hear on this topic. A few examples are that he said, quote, and I'm quoting now, he said, we're going to pay what we have to pay if we're in the tax, and that he does not fear the tax or spending money as a whole. Also said later on that, quote, going into the tax doesn't scare us, end quote, though he did bring a very, very large caveat to the table saying that it has to be, quote, good business, end quote, to pay the tax. He said they will have to spend intelligently, which is sort of the uh, the hedging that you might expect in this scenario. He said before, again, that, he's, that it'll, they'll pay the tax that they have to to be a contender. And this time around, he said that it was not only through that lens, but rather if they need to do it to position themselves to actually be great in the way that he said is position themselves for greatness in the future. Of note, John Hollinger of The Athletic used to be at ESPN, also a member of the Grizzlies front office in a prominent role at one point in time, tweeted this uh, pretty interesting comment, I thought, as from a former front office person. He says, basically, whether or not you're willing to pay the tax, you always are going to bluff that you're willing to because teams think they have a, have you over a barrel if you will not go into the tax, which could be part of this as well. It does Tony no favors to come out and say, I won't pay the tax. He's not going to do that. So uh, my general operating assumption here is like, just be skeptical on some level. But and basically what I'll say this overall, it doesn't really change my view for the summer in particular, because I still probably would guess they don't pay the tax. 
I'm not saying that it's impossible because they certainly could go over if they want to, but things can definitely change based on trades. What I don't do, what I don't think that they will do, honestly, just in my personal opinion, is that they'll pay the tax to bring back a similar cast of characters to last year, which we'll go on to in a second in terms of uh, roster challenges. But still, he said what you want to hear is a fan on the tax, which is a, not a bad thing by any means. Elsewhere, and what Tony had to say, he echoed what Travis Schleich and David McMillan said about the team needing to be consistent from start to finish. That's been a huge topic of conversation, both in players Travis's comments, Nate's comments, and actually interviews, all that stuff is just kind of being a one through 82 game scenario. Travis Schlenk said famously a couple times that, uh, you know, they you noted know, their 26 14 close to the season. If they play at that level all year long, a lot less uh, sort of uh, you know, gnashing of teeth at this point in time. Uh, notably, Wrestler expressed some regret for bringing the band back from last year and said pretty much flat out they should not have been as uh, complacent and should have been more active in trying to improve the roster, saying that that won't happen again this year and then moving forward. He did say there was some complacency throughout the organization. He took some ownership for that on, on, on his own, as well as the front office and how they approached things after that run last year. He did stress, again, it won't be the case moving forward, but I thought it was good to at least take him, have him take some ownership over that. Um, of note also, Travis Schlenk recently spoke uh, about a similar topic on 92.9 The Game during a uh, during an interview and doubled down again on kind of the uh, – I'm not sure if it was skepticism or what about bringing the band back together from last year, but he's he, they've been talking pretty openly about the desire to upgrade the roster. It's been a theme of what Tony was talking about on Thursday as well. Um, basically, this is something that's made a lot of notes. Uh, Tony Wrestler, when he was asked about superstar acquisitions and potentially adding a second star, the quote is the following – I think every team should add a superstar whenever they can, and I promise you that we're no and no exception. End quote. Obviously, that's going to grab headlines, but I think that's just kind of standard fare. If the Hawks were able to trade for a superstar, they probably would do that. It's not necessarily likely to happen, but it certainly could happen. They have the assets to do that if somebody becomes available. But in the NBA, most of the time at this stage, it's a player wanting out, so you kind of have to wait for that to actually happen before things can actually happen. He did stress that he's not the one doing personnel evaluations, but he did say, and talking to both Travis Schleck and Landry Fields, assistant GM, that there is a focus on more playmaking on offense and improving the defense as well. Schleck has leaned a lot about defense in his comments as well, but um, not a surprise there. They're not running from how bad defense was this year. And also, Travis said on the radio this week that they uh, brought up secondary ball handling as a concern, uh, at least a potential need again. So that's uh, all worth noting. Very obvious. It's something I've talked about a lot on this podcast, but still, it is uh, different to be uh, sort of acknowledged by me and having them say it out loud as potential looking uh, points to look to upgrade in the future. Tony did also say more than once that he is very involved in the decision-making process when it comes to the Atlanta Hawks. No surprise there. He did make sure to point out that he leans on Travis and Landry and Nate and their expertise, but it's kind of hard to ignore that he is, let's just say, um, more hands-on than most owners. He he has said multiple times that he expressly has to sign off on every decision. Not out of the ordinary, but it's my understanding that he's definitely in the mix on some things, which is, uh, you can sort of argue all sides. Obviously, he has the right to do that. He owns the team. But uh, usually, you want to leave your basketball people alone for the most part, but we'll see. Um, got a question, I think, from Chris Kirshner, actually, on trades involving guys on the current roster. And he didn't really answer it, but you know, obviously, he's not going to say guys will be traded on the current roster. But he did say a few times that they're going to aim to be better next year. He did not shy away from trades. Um, he also said that expressly he is the least patient, is the way he said it, of the four uh, decision makers between him and Travis Landry and Nate, which is uh, notable. I think Tony has a reputation for being a little bit trigger happy on uh, pushing transactions or not pushing transactions and all that kind of stuff as well. You get kind of a stock answer on DeAndre Hunter's extension. Uh, it's important to note always that he's not the GM. Obviously, he's going to get some GM type questions because he's available and he's the owner, but 
he wasn't going to make news on DeAndre Hunter necessarily, but he did say that he thinks Hunter is a superb player and a superb person is the way he put that. And he's a big fan of him. So uh, they're hoping to get something fair done, but that's sort of your stock fair at this point in time. And last but not least uh, on this little catch up of what he said on Thursday, I could play the entire 30 minutes of audio and video for you, but it's a little bit choppy with zoom, et cetera. Uh, but I'm going to share one bit of video here, and it's Tony giving a vote of confidence to both Travis Schlank and Nate McMillan. I'm going to play the video for you. Keep in mind, this is a Zoom availability. It was, uh, it was all virtual. So you actually see kind of a funny visual cameo from Terrence Moore, a longtime Atlanta sports media personality. He'll be popping up on screen while he's speaking. But you'll be uh, hearing a question from Chris Kirchner, and then you'll have uh, both Tony Ressler on your screen if you're watching on YouTube and also in your ears answering the question on Travis and Nate. What's your evaluation of the jobs both Nate and Travis did this season? And do you have the confidence that they are the right guys to lead this team moving forward? Uh, the simple answer is I think they, I have the confidence that they are the right guys to lead this team going forward. I have enormous confidence in Travis and Nate. And by the way, I think that uh, I, as uh, the governor and lead owner, Travis as president of basketball operations, Nate as head coach, all underperformed this year. And I think if you asked any one of us, hopefully all of us, we would all agree that, to that comment. We all underperformed. We all thought we'd do better and we all intend to do better. So, uh, but if the question is, do I have great confidence in their abilities? The answer is yes. All right, so you hear there, uh, not a huge surprise, obviously, that he would give a bit of confidence to Travis and Nate, but uh, a lot of fans seem to recoil on this where I tweeted out the quote of what was said uh, I will say this, Travis was never in any trouble in my understanding. Uh, that was never really coming up in what I was hearing anyway. Um, and I don't think what, from what I understand, Nate seems to be in any trouble at all. It would be a pretty big 180 at this point for wrestler to say that on the record and then have him move, move off from Nate McMillan. So if you were still holding out hope of Nate being gone, uh, give up that hope, I think, at this point in time. Now, I do think that Nate's seat will be pretty hot next year if they start slow or if they have a bad season overall. Obviously, they did not hesitate to fire Lloyd Pierce midseason a year ago. Um, Nate, obviously, having a long-term deal makes it more difficult. He's a more established coach, has a lot of that track record and pedigree and stuff like that. But I think there will be some heat on him. I never thought he was actually going to get fired. Uh, there was a little bit of noise that he might uh, you know, be in some more trouble than I thought at some point, but it seems to be cooling down now. And uh, that doesn't bother me too much. You know, I've long said that I don't believe Nate is an elite coach. I don't think that Nate is a game changer uh, on the positive side, but I also don't think that Nate's a bad coach. I don't think Nate's like a bottom five guy in the league. I think he's kind of in that very large middle of NBA head coaches, which is not inspiring. I get that. He has some pretty notable weaknesses. He's not the biggest uh, innovator necessarily. He has some old school tendencies. Rotation stuff is not always my favorite, but uh, I'll, I'll critique that. It's part of my job, but I don't think Nate is like a guy that you have to fire right now. It doesn't bother me at all. They're not firing him. So I'll keep all that in mind, but uh, there you go. I want to at least have you watch and listen to Tony say what he said. So it's a little bit more clear on that front. Okay. Before we get to uh, the rest of the podcast, I want to just kind of remind you of what's going to be happening in a second on the on the show. It's going to be Mark Schindler and I, uh, actually part one of two on the podcast. Uh, this is going to be dropping on Friday afternoon as you're listening to this now, Friday evening as you're listening to this now. And this first part after this conversation will be myself and Mark talking about the Hawks, his thoughts on the team and kind of what they might do moving forward now. I'm trying to get a lot of opinions on what the Hawks need, what they maybe should do in terms of roster overhaul, whether they should stand pat, et cetera. We'll talk about that, that on this podcast with Mark, who's very smart about the NBA. And then part two, uh, dropping probably next week sometime, will be myself and Mark on the NBA draft as the draft is getting very close. The lottery is less than two weeks away. We're getting very close to uh, the festivities there on the NBA draft, and I'll be repping that up in the near future. So after you hear from our sponsors on today's podcast, we'll be back with myself and Mark Schindler. 
Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, and summer is coming. If you're anything like me, it actually means some food on the go in the next couple of months. And Built Bar is the perfect snack to take you with you on vacations, whether you're by yourself or with your family. Throw them in your bags, toss them in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so you're fueled for your summer adventures. And the best part about Built Bar is they're actually healthy and delicious as well. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bar, you can actually have both. It's actually quite easy as well. All you have to do is go to Built.com and order right now. They have Built Bars and Puffs, and everything is covered in 100% chocolate. And that means with Built Bar, you can actually eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. If you haven't tried Built Puffs yet, I don't know what you're waiting for at this point. They actually have great flavors like banana cream pie, which has become a personal favorite of mine, honestly. And picture how it will taste right now, to be honest. Just think about banana cream pie, how good that actually is. Not enough flavor for you. You might actually want to try Mixed Box as well. Mixed Boxes come with 12 flavors of bars and puffs all in one place. And Built Bar is also healthy for you. Most bars have only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 70 grams of protein. While most candy bars have a lot more sugar and a lot more calories than that. So Built Bar tastes fantastic while also being quite healthy. And if you go to Built.com right now, get all of your favorites from banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, many more. They're delicious. And new flavors coming all the time. Built.com is everything that you want. And if you go there now, use promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that is promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. I am joined now by front of the podcast, one of my favorite people covering the NBA and the basketball world in general. Mark Schindler is here. Hello, Stair. How are you? I am good. It's been, I was telling you before we got on, it's been uh, like the busiest week of my life, but it's it's good. Uh, WNBA starts tonight. We got playoffs back in action. Uh, everything and anything is happening. I mean, I got I to gotta go to grassroots stuff in a couple of weeks. So we're, uh, yeah. We're making it work. <laughs> no, I, uh, I appreciate you carving out some time. And uh, like you kind of just alluded to, you uh, you do the whole thing from grassroots to college to NBA, WNBA, et cetera. So you're a busy man, uh, and I appreciate uh, you giving me some time. I want to start quickly here on the Hawks, and then uh, I do want to talk to be, uh, about some draft stuff probably in, the, I guess, part two of this episode. But obviously the Hawks have been out for a week plus now of the playoffs, and uh, – one of the topics of conversation clearly uh, is like what happens next. But uh, I guess um, the way that I'll get into this by, is by asking you as someone who observes the league as, as a whole, like what's your perception of the Hawks and like where they should kind of go from here? Because that, that's sort of the biggest need or there's this argument about what they have to do moving forward. And uh, I'll, I'm curious to see what you think. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause you and I, I mean, we talk fairly regularly throughout the season and uh, I mean, you know, I was super high on the Hawks coming into the year. I thought, like, this team, I thought that they'd maybe be the one seed because they, they were bringing guys back. I thought that they'd be a little bit better. You know, you, you project DeAndre and, and Cam getting better. That did not happen. Um, in terms of what the team needs, um, I mean, the biggest thing is just length. Like, they need more length on the perimeter. It was a clear issue in the playoffs throughout the entire year defensively. I think, like, part of it, like, Clint – Clint wasn't himself for for large swaths of the year, but then the last couple of months he was really good. Um, obviously, it is ebbs and flows for sure, but I think it was just you saw more so the issues that they had with the guys who were on the perimeter. Like Gallo took an even further step back this year defensively. Like he went from being somebody who you could at least hang with at times last year to being just, I mean, immobile at times on the perimeter. Um, and it wasn't an effort thing. It was just like physically, I, I don't think that there's a whole ton left there. Um, bogey was really, I mean, his injuries hurt him a ton this year too on the defensive end. Um, and Deandre was just, uh, Deandre was pretty disappointing defensively this year. Um, like our mutual friend of ours, Bowser, Bowser pointed out a lot of great stuff too. Like the Hawks used him in weird ways. Um, I think like the coaching has to be better next year too. I don't know how much of that played into, you know, things that were going on off the court that we're not privy to, but, um, 
kind of everything honestly like <laughs> they need a lot but i think yeah, yeah the, the wing positions are definitely where it's weakest right now yeah that's what, sort of what i've been gathering uh, both of my own and like talking to people both on the show and off the show is like there's kind of a wide birth of things that they need to kind of address. And, um, you know, personnel is of course the easiest way to do that is to make trades or whatever, but, uh, internal growth too, you mentioned Hunter, uh, I've gotten people, some people mad at me for talking about Hunter's struggles, but like, it's just the case. He wasn't very good this year. It's like, it doesn't mean he's bad long-term. Like I still, I still like DeAndre Hunter. I kind of always have, it's just that, uh, he didn't have a great season. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the length because obviously they are pretty big in the front court when they play Collins at the four, like, mm-hmm. But it's kind of, to your point, it's underrated sometimes because especially when they're having to use Hunter at the backup four spot, which they've had to do a lot this year. And then you have the two shooting guards um, who are shooting guard size, McDonavich and Herter. They don't have a ton of length when they're playing those guys together. They actually do pretty well usually. But, um, you know, defensively, it is, it's a lot of burden on whoever the center is between Okongwu and Capella kind of no matter what. And especially if Hunter's off the floor, if Hunter's playing the four, he's not quite the same guy. So, um, I mean, I guess the easy question from there is like, what do you do? Because, you know, they're kind of, I don't want to say locked in, but they have these guys under contract. So to make any sweeping moves, they kind of have to make trades. And there's this like, you know, argument about who they can get and all this stuff. And I know it's impossible to figure out who they actually trade for, but what are you like looking for if you're the Hawks? Like, do you just need to bring in a, a small forward size defender? Do you need a number two option on offense? Like, what do you, what's, what's the priority in your mind? I mean, that's a great question. I think it's uh, saying anything is the wrong way to put it, but like, I mean, <laughs> I think they need more at the four personally. Like, obviously it's more at the three too, but I think like clearly, I, I still don't know what to make of the John Collins situation. Like he's awesome. I think he's really good. You saw how much they missed him um throughout the season clearly but also it just that that whole thing has felt like really murky now that's going and i again i'm not privy to a ton of that stuff but it just it feels weird um i don't know how he he feels that much better this season you know just given that his role really didn't change up all that much um like i would love for the hawks to get somebody like pj washington i know that he's still more of a theoretical guy in, in some ways but i think part of that too is and I haven't loved the environment there. That's not really a great place to grow a defense, just given how things have gone there. Um, I think he would be better on another team. Like, I really love what he can do with his versatility at the four and the five. Um, and he does seem like somebody who's kind of available, just given how things have gone. I think it's kind of ridiculous to think that Charlotte's going to let Miles Bridges go. Like, I we just yeah. don't see guys like that actually be allowed to walk. Um and it feels like, you know, just given how things have trended recently, you know, how how often he's involved in trade talks, that's when he seems like they're going to be available. Um, I mean, right now on a good team, he's probably more of a sixth man or something or, or first big off the bench. But I do sure. think he can develop into more um, like he already has. Like I, he's a really quality passer for his size, especially gets to show off the five lot. And um, he'd be really fun with Trey. But I think that's more of like, you know, how do you factor in you know him you know because I, I do think he shows a lot of fun stuff at the five defensively but i i would like to see him as a four alongside like a good center like clint um i mean sheesh who else like obviously like not uh not somebody who i would necessarily take a gamble on right now but tj warren like a guy like that just having somebody who has size who has more shot making ability but even then, that's not quite the right guy. Because, like, well, no, I, I think that's interesting because, like, obviously he played for Nate, and I don't know how, how that relationship is. I assume it's not. You he know, likes Nate as far. Yeah, as I, I think he liked Nate too, from what yeah. I understand too. And uh, you know, he, he's the you know a guy. The Hawks don't really have don't have cap space. I think Warren's going to get more than the mid level. I would imagine. So, like, yeah. there's some finagling that has to go on there for him to get there. But if Indiana um, 
couldn't bring him back. And I'm sure they probably want to accommodate him on some level and maybe you get a signed trade deal or whatever. So yeah, he's actually a pretty interesting name. And because of the Nate relationship and he doesn't, you know, defensively he had kind of the one good year with Indiana and he was not great before that. He would be better than what they've had though, because one of the things that they, you know, not that Kim was great for the Hawks, but when he wasn't there anymore, there was just a crater defensively at the three whenever Hunter left the floor. It's like, you know, not that Cam was great either, but again, like they kind of went from having this clear four man group of wings, whether you liked it or not, um, to only having three and the fourth wing basically became a zero. I mean, you had either DeLon Wright, who's good, but is more of a, obviously a combo guard type, or you're playing like a non-roster MIT TLC. They had to play a lot of minutes this year. Um, and then beyond that, like, you know, Jalen Johnson, they, they kind of view as a big right now. He might be able to play some three long term, but um, even at a minimum, it's kind of forgotten some ways. But once they traded Reddish and didn't have anything, about, like they just kind of had three wings for most for most of the mm-hmm. season. Um, and, and you know, Wright played some too, but like it was just kind of a light group there. And you factor in the injury to Collins, who missed a bunch of time. I think he missed the last like sixteen games of the season. And Gallo, like you mentioned, his defensive struggles. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? I mean, there's just personnel challenges up and down the roster. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it makes it very murky. And and like you mentioned too, what's hard is like their wings, they're not that every big I apologize, my dog is very squeaky right now, but uh I know uh like obviously not every wing is gonna be six eight and like two twenty and, and super strong, but like the wings that Atlanta has are not strong guys. Like DeAndre, not that he struggles on the ball, but he's somebody who definitely can get bodied at times. Um and especially with like Herder for sure. Um, yeah, like, they, used, they used to put Hunter more on guards, and yeah. this year they didn't do that as much. And I think it was because they he's the only guy they had to guard bigger wings. Well, yeah, and that's but, part of what's tough, too. Like, I think he's better on guards than he is playing on, on forwards. So they do, like, too, I think. And that, but they, they kind of realized yeah. that there was nobody. Like, once, honestly, as crazy as this sounds, they missed Solomon Hill so bad this year. Honestly, because they like, could just put they put him on big wings all the time, and they had 100-guard guards. Yeah, it's, it's obviously not like a one-to-one comparison. It's very different. But, like, one of the things I talk about or, or think about a lot just because I like historical basketball, like, the 03, 03-04 Pistons work so well because, like, having somebody like Rasheed Wallace who could hold down on centers while Ben Wallace could just roam and, and muck shit up, like, it, it counts for wings too. Like, just having somebody who's solid on the ball. Like, as you saw, like, this team couldn't contain anybody on the perimeter. If you have – at least somebody who can get stops on the perimeter and you can, you can get something going there and, and uh, like, you know, buy some extra time for ground coverage. Cause I think that's an important thing that, that, that gets brought in. Like so often defense isn't about getting stops. It's about just prolonging a possession and making it harder. Um, like I think so often we bring up like, Oh, well this basket went and I'm like, yeah, but they also, they, they made the, the, the offense run through four different actions before they got to something like, yeah, you don't want a basket, but also it's a better process. And I think, um, finding more ability to do that which i think we saw in the playoffs last year like okay can you just make it an offense work into their fourth or fifth progressions and um make things harder and this this team just doesn't have that right now and uh honestly i mean it's not like it's really easy to point the finger at trey and be like ah we'll be better like i don't obviously his defense is not good but i also think it gets like way over highlighted like this is so much bigger (laughs) problem than just trey young or you know fixing it like even I don't know if you I'm sure you've talked about this on the pod, but like the idea of like a Rudy Gobert trade to me, I'm like, yeah. I think I can see some merit to that. I have questions personality wise on how that would work between the two of them. Um, but you you still have to solve all the questions on the on the perimeter. Otherwise, you have the exact same problem that that, that Utah just had. So, yeah, I think so. he would uh, paper over some stuff. But like you said, like it'd be very familiar for Rudy. Like he's kind of yeah. having the same issues that uh, he just dealt with. In Utah. I want to ask you something else in a second, uh, but first, before we get to that, a word from our sponsor on the podcast today. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, and it's May now, and baseball season is actually up and running at full steam. I'm covering that sport on another venue than this one. And of course, the basketball playoffs are actually going on right now in the NBA. A jam-packed slate of games is happening almost every night for your viewing pleasure. And with that in mind, BetOnline is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and information this year. They have the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. And BetOnline is the best spot for all the latest developments in sports. That includes podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Of course, not just basketball or baseball either. BetOnline has all the wagering information that you want across the board. That includes live betting and favorite casino games. And BetOnline also has other sports that are happening right now and also in the future. That includes horse racing and golf, esports, tennis, auto racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, cricket, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. And futures markets are always available in the NFL, college football, etc., Super Bowl champions, conference titles. All this stuff is available to wager on right now at BetOnline.net. Head to that website right now, BetOnline.net on your computer or mobile device at the moment. And if you will get there, you'll get to learn all about the trends and the action across the sports world. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Mark, uh, to your point before we took a break, like I think physicality is an undervalued thing that the Hawks just haven't had recently. Mm-hmm. Like I think Capella is obviously really physical. Collins plays with a, lot, with, a, with a lot of effort, a lot of uh, just kind of juice for the most part. But um, of the perimeter guys, like even someone like, let's just say Herder, for instance, who I've defended. Def- I, I think he's a pretty decent defender. Like overall, he's a good positional guy, et cetera, but he's not going to be great. And he's just, he's not a hugely physical presence. Bogdanovich um, is strong, but not a guy who plays with a ton of physicality all the time. Trey, not a huge physical guy either. And even Hunter, um, while he looks like he should be able to do that, doesn't play with a ton of force all the time as well. And I wonder like how much of that it is too. Like personality wise, I mean, not personality wise, but like personnel wise, they have the defensive deficiency. But like, do they just need more? Like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, more aggressiveness, more physicality overall. Because not to go back to the well with Solomon Hill, but like, they, they didn't ever have that guy who just like would get in you this year. I mean, Delon Wright came the closest, and we saw that he they played their best basketball when he, when he was playing down the stretch. But they just don't have like on the whole roster a ton of that overall. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. I think that they really miss some of that. Like uh, there were shades of Cam with that last year, and obviously that that wasn't a thing this year really. Um, I mean, yeah, they definitely miss it, like having just more of that. And I, I I think it's tough because especially when you're at the five, like, I mean, yeah, you can bring it at the rim, but um, that, I mean, Clint can't exactly embody all of that. Right. Um, He's so, the only guy that can do it. It's like not going to work. Exactly. And they, they also don't force turnovers, which is like not exactly the same thing as that, but it's part of it. Like they, they do not have any playmaking defensively either. I mean, Reddish was supposed to be the guy who was the one guy who could playmake defensively. He's not there anymore. And there's it's not a coincidence to me that they're like always in the bottom five and turnover rate defensively. They just don't like they don't like cause a lot of havoc defensively. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think that's a really great point. And it's tough too because like as physical and good as John is offensively, like and I think he's a better defender than he normally is credit for, but like he's yeah. not a physical defender. Like he's not an awesome post defender because his his hips are pretty high, so he's not great at getting low. Um and I think too, like, I mean, just an, another important aspect, like when you have um real issues getting stops at the point of attack it's really hard to cover him up at times like it, it messes with your timing as a room protector or, or moving as the low man just because you're you're normally buying more time for yourself than just like oh yeah you didn't get a stop at the point of attack so now i'm just getting uh, wasted on the back end like <laughs> yeah um obviously like i think john needs to, to to hone in more and get better there as well but i think we've seen him do that um but yeah no i agree i think having just somebody with physicality. And I think Nate probably knows that as well. Like that's probably why he played. He preaches it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, he he relies obviously on vets, maybe 
too much sometimes, but I think except Hill, for the one who would have really helped the most this year. Well, the yeah, could I mean, have played so many more minutes. Uh, agreed on that. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you will probably know that I am a, a very large DeLon Wright advocate, but yeah, I'm eventually the light came on eventually, but it's mm-hmm. like they, I don't know, out of whatever it is, like having, having to play Gallo, like obviously Gallo has a lot of strengths too. He's an awesome offensive player, but he kills your defense. Yep. Playing him with Trey, especially just like you have no chance with those two guys in the court. Um, all those questions. And I'm not sure if Gallo will be back or not, but I'll be interested to see, you know, not to go down the Jalen Johnson hole a ton, but I know you watched him play a lot as a prospect. And um, I'll be interested to see now that he's not a rookie and Nate takes the target office back a little bit, potentially for being a rookie, like what he can give them because he kind of checks a lot of his box we're talking about. Like he's not defensively like the most physical guy right now, but he is very athletic and he's got a lot of tools. And then as on offense, he's got a lot of juice as a passer for a guy his size. Like he does check a lot of like the theoretical boxes that they probably need to have on this roster, either at the three or the four, like he can kind of do a lot of that stuff if it can work and he can figure out the defensive side. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's a great point. Like I think he's somebody I would have liked to see get run this year a lot more than he did. Um, Hawks fans agree. I can, I can tell you that. Yeah. I, I do think it is, it is tough too, because like, I mean, Gallo came here on that, that massive contract. Like it's, it's a lot easier. What I mean, like just looking at the Chris Kirshner's article that he had last week on, on Nate playing cam, just because he didn't want to have a negative impact on the roster. Obviously, you know, that, that kind of backfired, but like, that's a very real thing. Like, okay. It's, it's easier to say, yeah, I'm going to go play Jalen Johnson and let him play develop, the developmental minutes when your team was, you know, if they hadn't made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, that's an easier sell yeah. to, to the rest of the roster. But after you've won already and, and those guys played a part of it, like, no, eh, it's not as easy. Um, but no, with him, like, I think there's definitely real value with him. To me, like, I, I probably am more in line with what the front office thinks. Like, I think he's a lot more of a four than anything else. Like, he's not – his hips are pretty bad, honestly. Like yeah. he got taken off the dribble by Joey Hauser uh, when he was at, <laughs> at Duke, which is like that is a, an accomplishment in shout the wrong. Shout out to Joey Hauser while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Legendary senior. Uh, I, what is going to be like his sixth year in college now? But um, like yeah, um, and that's not to like slander Jalen, but like no. that's definitely an area for growth. Like I'm, qu- I'm not sure how much is going to be there with his hip flexibility. Um, I think he's shown some really interesting stuff as a rim protector which makes him like a lot more interesting to me as, as a low man or playing more like that. I don't really see him as a, like maybe he can do some small ball five stuff if he gets better at, at switching or, you know, he can find more playing at the level. Cause I, I don't really, um, I don't really think he's ever somebody who we should try and drop with. Not that I think they would try to, but he's definitely no. not a full on switch guy or anything like that right now. And I think like he showed some stuff at Duke, um, you know, playing closer to the level, playing, you know, more center field that was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. He's pretty raw defensively, though, and he, he kind of blocked chases a little bit. Um, I didn't get to watch him much at College Park this year, but I imagine that was kind of – Yeah, I mean, thing. even just to build on that, like even, I, I didn't watch every game in College Park either, but obviously just trying to watch him in particular and Sharif in particular sometimes. And, uh, yeah, defensively, you can – I know fans don't care about this and don't want to hear, but, like, you can obviously see why Nate didn't want to play him if you watch him, in, even in College Park, which is a lot easier setting in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, he just gets lost. And defensively, like – there would have been the flashes for sure because the physicality that he has and the length that he has. But, you know, just knowing a guy like Nate McMillan and just saying, okay, if there was ever a coach that was not going to ever want to embrace what Jalen can't do defensively, it was going to be Nate McMillan. So it's like it's a really bad formula there for him playing this year. But I do think next year, you know, assuming he's still on the roster and, and what's his trade, he will be. I think they're going to have to like make a point to get him 
on the floor. Eventually, like you take a guy number 20 overall, he's going to have to get a chance at some point. I think it probably next year. I'm not sure how big the role is going to be, but I'll be, I just want to see what he looks like. Not that it's going to fix everything because it's not, but I think that, uh, you know, he's a really talented guy. The fact that he fell to 20 was still kind of surprising to me. And I think he showed a lot of that in Julie, too. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. And like, I would almost argue, too, just in talking about what this team needs more evidence at athletes, like, this team is not that athletic in their no, top rotation. It's like, not. Um, like again, like it's Collins basically. Like Collins yeah, is the only kind of, above average athlete. Yeah, exactly. And like Collins is really only vertically, and it's just like okay, that's about it. And, then, and Capella's really fast. Like for a center, Capella's got great straight line speed stuff for a yeah. center. He's a good athlete for a center. But the wings, again, not to go back to the physicality point, but like Kevin Herter is not a he's a decent athlete, but he's not a huge great athlete. Bogey at this stage is not a good athlete for a, mm. for a wing. Like Trey is a great athlete in a different way, but not going to like run through you and run over you. So yeah, it's it's your it's a good point. Exactly. So I, w- I would love to see um, what that looks like. I, yeah, it's it brings up a lot of interesting, interesting questions. And I, I mean, as we transition to talk about the draft, too, it does as well, because, you know, you uh, like I really liked the value of getting Jalen at 20. But part of what's difficult is, uh, you know, how do you how do you develop him when you're a team that's trying to win right now? Like, not that I think you have to be a, um, that, that you have to be a team that's going all out and and losing just to to develop guys like I, I don't think that that's really like the proper way to do things but um at the same time like okay if Jalen is not going to get some of the opportunities to play through mistakes and and do things with the ball in his hands more um I am a little bit like wondering okay what is what is his role necessarily going to be in the NBA but um we'll see re- regardless <laughs> it has a lot of potential so I'm excited yeah. Um, before we go to the draft stuff in part two, I do want to ask you something that actually just occurred to me that I should have thought about to ask you before because you uh, you have been close to Indiana at times. I know you t- you saw Nate a lot when he was mm-hmm. with the Pacers. So I want to ask you as the last question, like what you think of them at Millen? Because you know, Tony Wrestler, as I talked about before, I brought you in on today's show. The, the owner gave him kind of the vote of confidence. He's not going to go anywhere this year. Like he'll be he'll, he'll be on the bench next year. Um, uh, my my standard fare on Nate McMillan is like he's just a guy. Like he's one of the middle coaches in the in the league. He's not a great coach, not a terrible coach. But I wonder what you think about like both him and the fit with this roster because he's not the most creative guy. At a bare minimum, we can acknowledge he's not the most creative guy. So I wonder if that like you think he's like a ceiling capper for them overall. Is like is he just okay? Like what do you think about Nate McMillan? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's really tough because like I look at him more as. It's it's so much in the front office to me too. Like if you oh, yeah. if you Always. bring in oh yeah, not not saying that, but I just more yeah. like if you bring in guys that you know Nate's gonna it, okay. If I bring in like let's say if I bring in Gallo and I I know I have Jalen Johnson, I want him to play. He's not gonna play Jalen Johnson. Like nope. even, <laughs> even though like like yeah, Gallo's gonna make defensive mistakes, but like he's not gonna turn the ball over, which Jalen would have a ton. He's not going to. Like I mean, as as bad as Gallo was defensively this year, I think there's a chance Jalen maybe is even worse just because he is all over the place. Like, yeah, you get more dude, room for, so for error to go. Like, yeah. It, yeah, but it's like you're you're yeah. It, Nate would not have been thrilled about that. Right. Um, I don't I don't know. It's tough because like last year, you look at how awesome Nate was for this group. Um, I do think like there can be all the quibbles. Like he's not a super creative offensive mind. Like I think that's probably my biggest gripe with him. But I also think a lot of the reason for why things didn't work out as well offensively is just where the roster is at right now. Like um, part of what was really difficult, the decision making on the roster sucks, honestly, outside of Trey. Like, um, I mean, like Bogey's a good secondary ball handler and, and DeLon's fine. But for the most part, like you have a lot of guys who stop the ball. Like I think uh, John really improved on that, like just becoming more of a, a short role playmaker this year, which I loved. Yeah. 
but also even then, like he was getting more to like being like an average short role playmaker, going from somebody who could not do anything off the bounce last right. year. Um, Clint is still like he's pretty slow in making reads. Like he'll do the right thing, but it takes him a second or two. Um, so it felt like so often this year, even if Trey didn't really awesome shit with the ball in his hands, like as and it's, it seems unfair considering how good the offense was, but um, I think you saw like especially with DeAndre too. Like there were those stretches where he looked really nice, but for the most part, like. It was very mechanical, um, didn't feel great with with him getting the ball. Um, it was just kind of shot goes in, but bad process a lot of times. Um, I think that they need a lot more secondary playmaking too. Like adding somebody like Jalen would be really interesting because like, okay, you know, even it's less about can I get somebody who's able to drive to the rim more? Can I just get somebody who's making it easier for everyone else? Or, or just like having somebody like Thad Young out there who makes quick decisions and just doesn't need to score necessarily, like obviously can score, but um having somebody else who can just kind of ease things up in the half court yeah i mean that's uh there's a whole podcast about that we could probably do about like what they need on offense but secondary creation does not always just mean second star either there's this whole yeah. second star uh obviously it'd be great if they had one that if they could trade for the second star it'd be great but like provided they can't do that which is probably realistically they probably can't i'm not saying they mm -hmm. can't but they probably can't right now like you got to fix it another way, whether it's another guy who's more of like a combo guard type or someone like not necessarily going to have to be Jalen, but someone who could be a little more comfortable as a as an on ball guy on the wing. Because even with Bogey, who's their who's, who's their best guy at doing that, he's more of a scorer first in that role. Like he's not really distributing a ton in that role. Yeah. Hunter Hunter is definitely more of a scorer. He doesn't really pass the ball at a high level right now, etc. So. Anyway, we're we can another rabbit hole, but we'll stop here for now. Uh, Mark, please plug yourself real quickly. We're gonna have you back for uh, part two with, on the draft. But uh, I, as far as the clean break, I want to make sure we uh, hype you up as much as possible on this podcast. So uh, sure I appreciate that, Brad. Up. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. Um, I am doing kind of everything right now. I don't mean that to hype myself up, but like, yeah, it's it is a reality. busy time of year. <laughs> um, I'm over at basketballnews.com. Uh, I write for I, for the WNBA at wnba.com. Um, I do a lot of draft stuff over my Patreon and I, my podcast tag the role with my good friend and fellow scout, Jake Rosen. Uh, you can also find me over at anycornrows.com as well. So appreciate you for having me on, man. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you for the time. And as mentioned, Mark will be back in the near future on this same podcast feed, talking about the NBA drafts. So stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to the show. Check out Mark's stuff. We'll see you next time.